Welcome to The Collective Table, the ultimate female perspective on Jesus, justice, and joy with Chelsea Simon, with Dana Black, and with Claire Watson. We are all United Methodist pastors in different places of the ordination process. The three of us are working to provide progressive and affirming Christian content, resources, and community through The Collective Table. The Collective Table offers many ways to connect in person and virtually, such as a podcast. We are in our sixth season of the podcast, diving into the parables of Jesus. Each episode, we will discuss these stories that Jesus told, which uproot, not confirm conventional thoughts and ideas. They are not motivational snippets or general truths. This may seem surprising or unsettling for many of us, especially if you've been raised in the Christian faith tradition. Our goal throughout the season is to help you get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. What part, moment, or person in the parable caused a reaction of resistance rather than acceptance? How might we, together in community, understand this parable from a different perspective? Can we allow ourselves to seek with curiosity so the breath of God can speak to us today in our time and space? everyone, it's Dana. Today is our final episode in season six. Our focus will be on Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. For clarification, this is not the same Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. Hopefully, by the end of this reflection, you'll see this parable not from a lens of fear, but rather from a framework of choice, especially for those of us who are privileged to have choices and actively pursue change. With that, let's dig in to Two Rich Men, Two Different Outcomes. On June 18th, 1982, which just happened to be nine days after my seventh birthday, the film Annie was released into theaters. I can still hear that iconic song, It's a Hard Knock Life, and see the girls dancing as they cleaned up the vile Hudson Street orphanage run by the cruel Miss Hannigan. If you're not familiar with this particular version, the plot centers around Annie, an orphan living during the Great Depression. Annie's entire focus is to be reunited with her birth parents. However, she ends up as a guest of the uber-wealthy, cold-hearted, self-centered billionaire Oliver Warbucks, in an attempt to improve his public image. Of course, ultimately, Annie is adopted by Oliver Warbucks after his heart and soul are transformed by this independent, caring, and charismatic child. The film brings back lots of memories for me. I could have sworn I owned that iconic red dress and wore it for Halloween. You know the one with the white collar and white cap sleeves, and don't forget the patent leather black shoes with white bobby socks. I know for a fact that I own that gold heart-shaped locket. If you can't picture this in your mind, I invite you to check out the Collective Tables YouTube channel for images that I posted. I remember desperately wanting to sing like her and to have the chance to be Annie in one of my elementary school musicals. Alas, I was not selected. However, one of my neighborhood friends was, and to be honest, she had a much better voice than me. She also had red hair, which had to help, right? Well, enough reminiscing. What does this film have to do with the parable we have today? I hope by the end of this reflection, 
you'll see two men with similar characteristics who ultimately choose two different paths. Both were wealthy, self-centered, and indifferent to others. Yet while one man chooses to remain like that, the other chooses to expand his perspective on life, which leads him to a more joyful, compassionate, and loving life, what God intends for us all. While wealth is a component of the story, I suggest it's not the main theme. Some people read this parable as a condemnation on wealth and fearful news. I don't. I see this parable as good news. I see this parable as an opportunity for all of us, especially those with privilege, to choose to expand and grow in our faith journey. That is the hope that Jesus Christ offers us each and every day. So let's begin with the parable. Then we'll circle back to Annie. I'm going to read through the parable using the message interpretation. You can access this through the Bible Gateway app if you have it. And also on the Collective Tables YouTube channel, I shared an image that was created by one of our community members, Jason Godby. I invite you to use this image either now or later for a spiritual reflection, a spiritual practice. Consider journaling on what you see and what challenges you. Now here's the parable. There once was a rich man, expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption. A poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, had been dumped on his doorstep. All he lived for was to get a meal from scraps off the rich man's table. His best friends were the dogs who came and licked his sores. Then he died, the poor man, and was taken up by the angels to the lap of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell and in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham in the distance and Lazarus in his lap. He called out, Father Abraham, mercy, have mercy. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue. I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham said, child, remember then in your lifetime, you got the good things and Lazarus the bad things. It's not like that here. Here he's consoled and you're tormented. Besides, in all these matters, there's a huge chasm set between us so that no one can go from us to you, even if you wanted to, nor can anyone cross over from you to us. The rich man said, then let me ask you, father, send him to the house of my father where I have five brothers so he can tell them the score and warn them so they won't end up here in this place of torment. Abraham answered, they have Moses and the prophets to tell them the score. Let them listen to them. I know, Father Abraham, he said, but they're not listening. If someone came back to them from the dead, they would change their ways. Abraham replied, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced by someone who rises from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A little over a year ago, I co-led a Bible study on a book called Stories Jesus Told, How to Read a Parable by author Greg Carey. Prior to this study, I honestly did not remember hearing this parable before, and if I had, I had no recollection of it. Interestingly, I took a poll of the 25 participants to see who was familiar with this parable. Only three or four said yes. And additionally, when I first read it, I was not super excited about it. I knew that Jesus used parables as a teaching tool and that they are supposed to make the reader a little uncomfortable. They are not allegories or nice little bedtime stories. They are meant to be thought-provoking and challenging. Well, Jesus, you succeeded. I had to wrestle with this parable for a while before I could see the good news. 
before I could see the opportunity, the hope, but make no mistake, it's there. As I compare and contrast the rich man and Oliver Warbucks, I encourage you to reflect on these two ideas. There are times in our lives when we want our needs met at the exclusion of others. I'm talking about those moments when we choose to not see or identify with other people. There is a preoccupation with ourselves. In those times, our world, our life, it shrinks. It becomes inwardly focused. Second, to recognize that only you or I can decide to change or choose a path that creates a more expansive and abundant life, a life that goes outside our comfort zones to learn and experience different perspectives. It's seeing life through a different lens, which is the life that God wants for us. As author and activist Valerie Kaur states, we can change how we see. You have to choose to think of the face in front of you as belonging to a person. As I contemplated the parable, I couldn't help but focus on the back and forth conversation between Abraham and the rich man. At first, I thought the rich man, to a degree, acknowledged Lazarus. Then my husband, Brandon, kindly pointed out, that's not acknowledgement. Brandon loves grammar and reminded me that the synonyms for acknowledgement are to greet, to show appreciation, to confess. Brandon was right. Don't tell him I'm saying that. The rich man never acknowledges Lazarus. He talks directly to Abraham, treating Lazarus like a servant. Do you remember? He says, first, the rich man yells out to Abraham to have Lazarus bring him water. And then the rich man asks Abraham to send Lazarus to his father's house to warn his brothers. Of course, there's a great chasm or divide between them. How can there be any connection when the rich man never acknowledges Lazarus as a person? as a person who has the exact same worth as the rich man. The rich man, even in the afterlife, chooses to focus exclusively on himself and his family. He remains unaware of his sin of self-centered indifference. As a reminder, sin is the breaking of relationship with God, with others, and with oneself. In other words, it's the times in my life When I've chosen to ignore, discount, dismiss, or judge someone, sin happens in those moments when I choose to put my head in the stand instead of acknowledge the uncomfortableness of what's in front of me. When I put my self-worth above others, and let me tell you, I've been there many times. That's what the rich man does. He ignores Lazarus and is completely preoccupied with himself and his needs. Abraham cannot help the rich man if he refuses to name and claim his own brokenness. It's difficult to help someone when they aren't willing to acknowledge the problem, and most importantly, their part or his part in it. That's who the rich man is, the person who does not acknowledge his role in why there's a gap between him and Abraham and Lazarus. The rich man completely ignores Lazarus in life and treats him as a servant in death. What's worse, being ignored or being belittled? It doesn't matter. Both demonstrate self-centered indifference. Even when all the distractions of life are removed for the rich man, he chooses himself. In the beginning of the film, Oliver Warbucks has a lot in common with our rich man from the parable. Heck, Oliver Warbucks is the rich man. When he meets Annie for the first time, he comes into his home yelling demands and browbeating his staff. The audience knows from the moment they meet Oliver Warbucks that he is a no-nonsense, intimidating man who will bulldoze anyone and anything in his path. 
Meanwhile, Annie and her dog Sandy just stand there. Oliver Warbucks is completely unaware that there's a child and a dog in his presence. Finally, he stops for a second, sniffs, (laughs) and yells, Why do I smell wet dog? When his assistant Grace introduces Annie, he simply says, This doesn't look like a boy. Orphans are boys. I want a boy. Take her back now. As if she's some kind of product that can be returned to the shelves. With some pleading, Grace convinces Oliver that it will be good for his image for her to stay. With an attitude of indifference, he acquiesces. Initially, his perspective of little orphan Annie doesn't change that much. I love this one quote that sums up who he is. I love money, power, and capitalism. I do not love children. So what happens? How does Oliver Warbucks transition into the beloved Daddy Warbucks? Friends, he made a choice to change. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary has many definitions for the word change. Here are some of my favorites. To make radically different. To make a shift from one to another. To give a different position, course, or direction to. So how does Daddy Warbucks make the change? How does change happen? Several years ago, I worked with a nonprofit organization in North County, San Diego, that designed and delivered prevention and intervention programs to at-risk youth attempting to alter their life trajectory. We implemented what is known as the Stages of Change model. It's used to alter many types of counterproductive behaviors, from addiction to weight loss. For this nonprofit, each student's circumstances were unproductive and unstable, largely because of long-term structural systems and policies that had given them little hope or evidence of success. When working with these kids and their unhealthy behaviors, the case managers and mentors actively implemented the stages of change model. The goal was to help them acknowledge and become aware of their behaviors and to give them the tools and confidence to change. There are six stages in the stages of change model, and attached to each stage is a primary task and also what they call raising awareness and helping to choose change. Those are the two that I'd focus on for this particular parable, raising awareness and helping to choose change. If you're not familiar with the stages of change model, I'll invite you to go to the Collective Table YouTube's channel, and I have a graph of the stages of change model there. This is what Annie was for Oliver Warbucks. Her presence started to raise his awareness. In a pivotal moment, Annie convinces Oliver to go to a movie. She's never been to the movies before. Not only do they go, he rents out the entire theater. Typical move for a rich man. However, unlike the man from our parable, when Oliver is removed from the distractions of the world, he begins to see the experience through the lens of a poor orphaned child. Annie is overwhelmed with excitement and gratitude. Those aren't familiar emotions for him, but he is moved. He begins to choose change. In that moment, he starts to become Daddy Warbucks. Change begins to happen when we take the opportunity to see life through someone else's eyes. Of course, change is not always as fast as in the movie, but nonetheless, it begins. The rich man in our parable never tries to see anything other than what is good for him and his family. Therefore, no change can happen. We don't need to be the rich man. We can choose to be Daddy Warbucks. We have the choice to decide what we want to see and what we don't want to see. 
I'm convinced Jesus told this parable to the disciples and the Pharisees to emphasize that they have opportunities and choices. He was presenting them with a more expansive and abundant view of life, one that is full of connectivity, whether virtually or in person. Daddy Warbucks made the choice when he let Annie into his life. His life became more robust, joyful, celebratory, and inclusive. That is what God wants for us. As a final reminder, you're invited to check out the Collective Tables YouTube channel where you'll find an image created by one of our community members. Please use this as a spiritual practice today or at some point in the week. May it be so. Thank you so much for listening. Together, we are what God looks like. The Collective Table is supported by San Diego United Methodist Church in Encinitas, California, and the California Pacific Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. A big thank you to our producer and content editor, Claire Watson. If you'd like to financially support the work of The Collective Table, please visit us at thecollectivetable.org. There you can also find out more about who we are and view past episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, YouTube channel, and newsletter, and keep up with us on our Instagram and Facebook at The Collective Table.